Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Are you PNLP? This is the Premier Non-League Podcast. Trevor, can you believe it's the final summer special of the 2022 season break? Um, we've had some great ones on, haven't we? We have, yeah. We're nearly at the start of the season already. I only seen, you know, not too long ago, the, the old one actually finished. Yeah. And we said we were having a summer break, but we know like uh, some of them taking that too literally with Chris not even bothering to turn up for one of these, has he? He's been no, using he cricket as his excuse. He loves, so. he, he loves so, the cricket, doesn't he? Yeah, so we'll keep the Premier Non-League podcast name going over the summer. And no better way to finish than one of the voices of Non-League, Adam Summerton, is joining us to talk about his career and you know non-league and everything about it. So Adam, welcome to the final. I think we had Mark White thank on you. to sort of start off with a blast. We're going to go out with a blast to have someone such a big name on here. So thank you for giving your time up. Um, how are you doing? Like I'm, I'm sure the summer break isn't really a summer break for you really, is it? Well, you know what? I have actually made sure that this summer it kind of has been really because um, it just it does get quite intense during the, the the actual season. So I think if you don't have that sort of little period off, and it all starts again in earnest in August, and then by September the Champions League and the Europa League and everything's back, and you're you're right in the middle of it all. So I have tried to take a bit of a break and have. Um, Done lots of boring stuff like tidy out cupboards, but also got to do some really cool stuff like go as a fan to the game last night, watching the Lionesses and yeah. with my daughters. And um, that was just absolutely brilliant. And, and in fact, my voice is just about recovering, <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, you need to protect uh, your voice, don't you? That's yeah. what makes you your income, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I was glad I wasn't working today. So, um, yeah, I have tried to have a bit of downtime, but it does all get going again. Uh, well, the, the, Supposing what is it? It's just over a week's time, isn't it? I think yeah, it is literally. Games. So we um, so we were going to touch on that. Obviously, you went last night to the semi-final of the Lionesses and yeah. an, an amazing performance from the ladies. I mean, I can't believe that we we've pretty much been get, given the opportunity again to win a European Championship within a year. With the men's obviously yeah. sadly falling at the last hurdle. Do you think the women can do it after what you saw last night? It's going to be it's going to be France or Germany, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, whoever they play will be a really tough game. There's some excellent players in both of those sides. I've watched a lot of them covering the Women's Champions League this season. So I know that individually there's real quality and you could say collectively as well. I think particularly in terms of a team environment, I would say that Germany for me would be, I think France from in an individual perspective, I would say I would fear their players maybe a bit more, but from a collective team perspective, I think Germany would be, would be the tougher prospect. So whoever they play, it certainly won't be easy. But having said that, I'd sort of echo some thoughts that my mum actually said after the game when we were having that debate in the car on the way home. And my mum said, I don't think it really matters who they play because they're playing so well and they're so full of belief. So I think she's got a point, actually. They're they're just, I said, yes, last night, I just love this team and they are a team. And, you know, I, I I wrote an article the other day where I had to sort of profile all of the Lionesses squad and, I kind of knew some bits about them already from commentary of games that I'd done. But when you really delve into their stories, I mean, there's so many stories of, you know, people who fought against adversity, 
you know, people who've really had to claw their way up have, have had to fight the odds. And when you see it all coming together as it is right now, it, it really is something truly, truly special. And I really hope that they get it over the line and that they do it. You've got to be careful, though, if it was France, because we do beat France. There's already six-hour delay. So if you want to go and comment out on European <laughs> matches next season, mate, um, you know, I don't. Think, I think we need to be careful what we wish for here. But no, mm. it's gonna it's gonna be amazing seeing. I think you know, it could be a, there'll be a TV record. We always say Wembley's sold out on on the Sunday. Um, it's just gonna be amazing for the country if the ladies can do it. And I think it's just gonna help grassroots ladies football because that's something yeah. I think we've always struggled with here and like you know, you see the interest because the women's team are doing. Young girls just want to get involved in football now, and it's great to see. It's fantastic. I can speak from a personal perspective about that, having two daughters who are both playing in teams. In fact, I've got one daughter who's playing for two teams this, fantastic. this coming season. So it, the, the difference that I've seen, I mean, I started covering women's football amongst a lot of other things. In a, I think it was about 2015 when BT had the WSL rights, which then went over to Sky, the season just gone. So I had about a five, six year period of covering the league. And I have to say the growth in terms of standard in that time was huge. And the growth in terms of participation in grassroots level, which I've been able to see with my own eyes, having two daughters, is quite incredible. Um, I remember when they were very young, my two girls, I took them to a little club. I think they were only about four or five, something like that. And I took them into a club and it was like walking into a pub in the Wild West. And people just turned around and they were like, girls, you know, and and... I remember it was one of the first times in my life that I could ever say that I felt almost um, like discriminated against almost. Yeah. It sounds a really weird thing to say, but there were parents looking at us as if to say, what are, you, what are you doing here? You know, and it felt really strange as somebody who's never experienced, thankfully, a discrimination in my life. So yeah. to now get to a point where not just as it, it normalised, I think it's also been normalised with boys as well. I mean, one of my girls plays against boys nearly every week in in fact, the other one has as well. And I think what's happening is going forward is that it will be normal for boys to see girls playing football. It won't be strange to yeah. them. I think that's a really important thing going forward as well in terms of the growth of the women's game. But I can only say to you that I go every weekend to playing fields where there are dozens and dozens, as far as the eye can see, of girls playing football. And that is just a fantastic thing for me. And um, long may it continue and grow even more. I think you, the ceiling for the growth of women's football is so, so high in this country. And it's such an exciting time for it. When you were cover, uh, covering the women's games, um, did you find the match day experience was quite similar to if you were going to, a, you know, a men's game in the way they prepared, the way, you know, they looked after you because, you know, being a commentator, you're at the side of the pitch rather than on it. Yeah, I think just general. I mean, there are subtle differences in terms of both covering and going as a fan to, to women's games. I'd say is going as a fan, maybe the atmosphere can be a little bit more, um, I suppose it depends on the game, but I can, you know, like last night, for example, there was... It was there was a bit of a party atmosphere at times yeah. too, which I thought was really good. Um, you know, you'll get things like a Mexican wave, which I you know some people don't like, but you know, it, it, it's when there's lots of children there, it's it's just good fun. Um, you know, the swelling in numbers of the crowds that you're seeing going to these sort of games. And Bramble Lane was full last night. Wembley, Wembley will be full on Sunday. I think when you consider some of the games that haven't involved England at the Euros, there's been healthy. I know not all the grounds have been full, but there's been healthy attendances. In terms of, um, you know, as a broadcaster at the games, 
Um, I mean, I would personally approach that a women's game exactly the same way that I would any other game, whether it be a National League game, a Champions League game, a Premier League game, whatever. I would just approach it in the same. It's a game of football at the end of the day, and it deserves the respect and, you know, in terms of research and, and preparation that any other game would do. So um, I, I just think the professionalism now in the women's game is, you know, for people who don't watch it, who aren't involved in it, or maybe dare I say even sneer at it because there is still that mm, those sort of yeah. attitudes out there. I think rather than do that, I, personally for me, it's important to go out and, and see things and, and then with a more solid sort of information base, then maybe make your judgments and your assessments. And I have to tell you that you know, the level of professionalism right now within the women's game, I, I can only give you an example of just my daughter's team. She's 10 years old. Last weekend, their coach asked me to send an email address to them because they were signing them up to a something where they can their games are videoed and then they can go on the kids and look at clips of the game that the coach then writes the like so and so should have done this here. Why didn't so and so make this movement there? They're ten years old and this is a a girls' team, so that tells you you know where things are headed. And how exciting that! I mean, I I think I was more excited than her when I got that link, <laughs> and I'm going in and because I mean, as I say to my mum the other day, when I was a kid, look, you turned up five minutes before the game, you you, you ran on the pitch, you maybe got some oranges at half time, you all shared a bottle of water, yeah. you know, yeah. things. Like, and now, I mean, it's just it's the change is just incredible, really. And that's the, it is boys and girls football, and it? it's absolutely brilliant to see. It is, it, no, it's it's fantastic because I mean, if they're doing that at age ten then that's surely going to be good for the women's game in this country. If they're already analysing at that age and putting that profession yeah. in, as you say, it's going to just, you mean, we could have the Somerton daughters playing for England in the future, <laughs> you never know. Well, it was funny, actually, because it shows you, I mean, you might have heard the phrase, you know, you can't be it if you can't see it, or it's that words to that effect. It's so true. It really is so true because it makes such a difference when young girls can see and have idols, have people who they can look up, look mm. up to who look like them. Um, and my daughter just turned to me during the game last night and she said, dad, I want to do that. And I, and I just think that says it all really. Did she that put a little lump in your throat? Was that a little it bit did, to be honest, it yeah, did. Yeah. yeah. Because you just think, how good is that? You know, she's, she gives me goosebumps. Just think, I mean, she might, who knows? I mean, it's a tiny, tiny percentage of children, as we know, not just in the girls game, but in the boys game as well, who will go on and ultimately achieve these things. The, the numbers are minute and you have to make children very aware of that. Um, but for them to be able to think, I can do that. I mean, there would have been girls when I was a child, it wouldn't even have entered their heads, would it, to think I could do that? Because realistically, it wasn't really an option. Well, it is now. And um, I just think uh, it's, I, it blows my mind. I'll go as far as to say this. It blows my mind when I sometimes have the misfortune to come across people on things like social media who would go out of their way um, to be negative and to try and take apart and, and slag off and belittle something that makes my daughter so happy. That yeah. makes me angry and it makes me think blame what's you. going between your head that you, you would do down something that can make children you know, and, and other people so happy. Um, I can't get into that mindset. Uh, it's I find it odd, but uh, unfortunately, you know, there are still people out there, but I have to say that they're, they're starting to dwindle in number now, I think. I was just going to say, Adam, I've got two, two daughters as well, one's 14 and, and one's 10. Literally up until probably about a year or so ago, both of them had no interest in, well, they're not very sporty anyway, but they had no interest in football whatsoever. But um, the eldest one came to, 
Littlehampton's FA Vars semi-final with me um, and then went to Wembley in May when we went as well. Um, they've played, I think, two friendlies this year. She went to one without me with all of her school friends because obviously, obviously they're all uh, local. There you go. Um, but Littlehampton have had a little bit of a, a, I say, a bandwagon role, you know, this year. And they've, you know, their crowds have increased and increased, but it's the youngsters that are actually putting all that effort um, you know, and enthusiasm into it, the noise yeah. as well. You know, it's 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 um, it, I think it's heading right across the board. You know, with the women's football and with non-league as well. Mm. And you know, another quick thing to quickly point out here is that even from a if you to look at it from a selfish perspective, from those who run the game and seek to commercialize it and make money from it, you know, this is a whole. I know it's not a whole new audience because there's always been women and girls who have been interested in football, but the sheer surge in the growth yeah. of the numbers of girls and women who are feeling confident to, to go to games now, it opens up a whole new audience, doesn't it, to, mm. to, to these yeah. clubs? And, and that's, uh, you know, that's going to grow the game as well and, and swell attendances, which is another thing why it is so fantastic for football. Trev's quite lucky because it means he won't have to worry about childcare on a Saturday anymore. Then. <laughs> that's true, yeah, very true. <laughs> he's buzzing. That's why he's happy about it. No other reason. Um, so Adam, let's 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 take it all back from the start. So obviously you're you're one of the well-known commentators on BT, and you do stuff for your AFA. You're all over the sort of uh, TV sphere with commentary on all sorts of um, different football leagues and everything. So how did it all start for you? Where where did you start off? Um. Well, I, I did a broadcast journalism degree, which took me three years. Um. And then I suppose if I'd sort of slightly rewind, I had initially wanted to go into print journalism, but I had a, yeah, I had a, before I went to university, I had a little bit of time, sort of a year out effectively after college. And I went and worked at a newspaper, not on the journalistic side, but more in the advertising area, but it allowed me to see a newspaper from the inside and speak Mm. to the journalists. And I just talking to them, I just thought, I'm not actually sure this is, for me, there were a few reasons why, but I just thought, I'm not sure, but I I would still like to go into the media. And I I just talked to people and got opinions and decided that I would go the broadcast routes, which was a great sort of decision really, as it's turned out for me. Um, So I did three years at university at Nottingham Trent, got a broadcast journalism degree. And then I just really, from the absolute lowest really entry level you could go at really in radio working at what was called rsls i don't know if they still do them actually but like a temporary radio station where they're trying out the area to see if they can oh yeah, yeah. get a license and i worked on, on those in caravans one in in barrow and one in <laughs> torbay um sounds almost radio luxembourgish that it, is, it? it was yeah. a little bit yeah they were they were in supermarket car parks so it was really <laughs> you know it was the glamour um, and that was just my the way I started. And then soon after that, I was quite fortunate in that I got a job at a local radio station in Mansfield, where I was there for about three and a half years. And I was employed as a news and sports reader, but I did everything there. So presented, um, read the news, went out, interviewed people. And one of the things they nudged me into, which I hadn't really, if I'm honest, thought about doing was commentary. Uh, and when I did, I did my first game, it was a thriller, absolute thriller where Mansfield, who were the the team that we were cover- we were covering, they won two one with nine men at Cambridge United, wow. and Keith Curl was on the pitch at the end get, with the the police approaching him, and it was it was all a bit uh, fiery, and it was just I was hooked really on commentary after that. The buzz, the adrenaline that you got was just something that I thought, oh, I need a bit more of this, uh, and yeah, I, I just kind of sort of knew from that point on that I wanted to pursue pursue ultimately a career in commentary, but it took me a long time to get to the point where I had. 
after I'd left my first permanent job and gone freelance that I had enough clients that I could just do commentary. I had to do all sorts of things like, you know, journal, radio journalism and presenting and all sorts of things, really, just general broadcaster mm. before it got to the point where I could truly specialise in commentary, which was after shortly after the launch of BT Sport, which was, it was launched in 2013. And I think it was probably 2014, 2015, where I said, look, I'm getting enough work now as a commentator that I can just do that. Right. Um, yeah, well, so- I, know, I know we were talking off air and like, obviously you, radio, uh, local radio, as we were saying, is kind of not really the same as what we knew it as. Um, what do you, do you feel disappointed it's that way now? Do you feel yeah, that that's going to, that's going to prevent a lot of people being able to have the opportunities to get into roles like yourself? Yeah, I do, because I think one of the things that has always stood me in really good stead as a broadcaster was that I did the hard yards. I didn't just go in at a you know a medium or, or high level. I, I, as I say, I, I started off in a supermarket car park, yeah. you know, uh, and you were able to make your mistakes, able to learn your trade, have respect for your craft, build up very gradually. I worked at local radio, worked in regional radio, just very gradually worked my way up the ladder. And when I, if I'm to say to you that I graduated from university in 2002 and I went full time as a commentator, as I've just said, around 2014, 2015, wow. that shows you how long a period of time it was that I was very gradually learning my craft, learning skills as a broadcaster, all of which you're able to bring into commentary. So, you know, and several of the places I worked at were places like Radio City, BRMB, Wish FM, mm. um, these sort of radio stations that used to have these fantastic local sports. Radio City in particular was so well known for that. Mm. I mean, I'm from Southport, which is near Liverpool, and mm. um, that was um, such a well-known and well-respected sports show. It was just such a such a shame for me when when that disappeared. Um, but unfortunately, you know, mergers and cost cutting have, have really have been the death knell of local sports radio, which I think is an absolute travesty for the industry and, and for people who are looking to get into it and, and develop themselves. It's such a shame. It really is. I think it is. And I think that's one of the things we, we sort of said is that, like, you know, I used to like my father got family in Scotland, my wife's from Manchester, like even up until about four or five years ago, you could travel up the country, listen to different areas and you, know, mm. you hear the different sounds, the local news, the local sport. I mean, I grew up in London. I had Capital Gold Sport with Jonathan Pierce, he was the voice yeah, that I always yeah, used to grow yeah. up with and the memories and like that, even things like hearing Chris Tarrant on Capital Radio, you know, but it's all one person now, the whole of the UK, yeah. the only national station was Radio One and that's because it was a national station and used to have all the little local breakfast shows and sadly so many good names have gone and I think it's going to be such a shame that these people, you know, I, I'm... Capital, you know, don't even cover things like Charlton anymore. That's my other team, Trevs Barnet. You know, we don't really have things like that. You have to rely on the internet. And it was always nice mm. to hear your team mm. on the radio. Like when I was down in Crawley, when I lived in Crawley, you had Mercury covering um, Crawley Town. And like, you know, when they got to Wembley, when they're a non-league side and they got to, not Wembley, so Man United, they got to play Man United in the FA Cup round oh. three. And it was just such a buzz around the town. Yeah. But to have that, none of that anymore, it's just such a shame. And as you say, where are these people that are going to ultimately take over from your roles when you get old and stuff where are they going to get the experience from they're not going to have the hard graft I think I think there are other opportunities but not maybe those traditional routes that I think I suppose you know a modern day YouTuber for example may disagree with me and say look what we're doing is yeah it's true you know we're going out there and we're we don't need anyone's backing we'll do it ourselves you know so there are other ways there are other modern routes into it like YouTube is an example where you can get experience as a broadcaster um, 
you know, club TV channels. There's never been more of those. I mean, I did some of that when I was starting out. I did like Everton's and Portsmouth's. And so you did Manu TV as well. Was that one of the ones you did? Yeah, well, yeah, MUTV I worked for, for yeah, on and off. I mean, as a freelancer for a long period, probably probably around 10 years, actually. Um, but that was a that was a proper TV station, if you like. Oh, you're talking than, about like the YouTube ones. Yeah, like, like yeah, yeah. The, 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 where a club will almost on their website, which is it's another it's sort of a quite a, a good modern mm. way actually of getting experience as a commentator, particularly I suppose the lower down the pyramid you go in terms of the club TV stations where they may be more willing to give people experience, usually perhaps as a volunteer because it's not maybe that much money to go around, but it's all great. I always say to anybody who wants to get into it, I'll get a lot of messages all the time. People, how do we become a commentator? The first thing I say is you can't get a degree in being a commentator. You no, can't experience. Yeah, it's, it is. It's absolutely, yeah. you've nailed it. It's experience. It's, it's a time on the mic, hours on the mic, and you need literally hundreds of hours on the mic before you get to any sort of competent level in my experience. It's mm. a, it, it's, it's a job where, suppose learning how to get yourself out of tricky situations is actually quite an important part of it. And that yeah. comes from, as any broadcaster, really, that comes from ev- when everything's live, you know, you're inevitably going to get scary moments, if you like, yeah, or course. moments that you need sort of that knowledge to get yourself out of. And so experience on the mic is everything. We'll be pleased to know that um, I do co-commentary. Pete, who's the other guy that's uh, not here today, I was hoping he would because I was going to embarrass him Say, look, Adam, can you give this guy some tips? He needs to learn. He, <laughs> he thinks he's good enough to replace Jeff Stelling on Sky, but you know, he's uh, he's not quite there yet. But we do it for our local club, Worthing Football Club, which obviously yeah. just got been promoted into the national south, so new league, new division. And I have to say, I mean, I, I look at my my sort of my commentary style co commentator to summarize it is more like fan zone, the old Sky Sports fan zone. Yeah, yeah so I'm constantly that, getting right? Pete, I'm constantly trying to get Pete to he's nudging me and telling me off, and he's trying to be like the proper commentator so it's like yin and yang but it works quite well and I do enjoy it but god it is hard like to follow like those players and you know especially in non-league where you do a lot of your commentary work especially if they don't have numbers and stuff like that or you're not a fan with the player it must be very tricky for you it can be I mean that I suppose that's where research really is so important yeah. um you know doing the hard yards in terms of research thinking outside of the box making sure that you know your subjects are so important for any commentator I, I would say to any young commentator, one of the key reasons I say that is because um, I think if you've got, if you know you've done the work, that breeds a confidence within you. And then that confidence then to the audience is authority. And then if the audience then believes in you and that respects you, it's like a domino effect if you, if you see my meaning. So yeah. that's why if you've done your research, you've got that confidence within you, which really helps you as a broadcaster, I think. So I suppose there's many ways of being able to research a team. One of the things that you would do as well is try and get as much footage of, you know, my my sky plan is always sort of yeah, recording yeah. over itself because yeah. it's so full of football. <laughs> so full, matches. yeah, football matches. Uh, yeah. Now, could I ask one question? And this is, uh, as the utmost professional that you are, an actual professional commentator, I need to ask Pete. Pete tells me off all the time for having a beer or one too many beers on the thing. Is it acceptable at a step three or a step two club to be able to have your summariser having what, more than two beers a game when you're on air? Or are you going to say, no, that's not acceptable? Uh, Bear in mind, this isn't on any uh, It's on rebelyell.live. That's all it is. It's not, it's not, not off rated or anything like that. The other well, swear word does come out occasionally, but you know. I suppose it depends on your bosses and your and your audience's we are, expectations. Well, Pete, Pete, Pete thinks he's my boss, but he's not my boss really. So can you just say yes or no, I can have a beer or two in the game? 
Well, who would I? Who would I be to deny you? Thank you very much. Thank you, <laughs> Pete Vale. When you hear this, I'm having beer next season when we're co-commentating. Might <laughs> anyway. make might make might make it more uh, lucid, I suppose. If well, we we we've we got to get used to losing because we just smashed the Isthmian Premier League last year. So we like we we might have to sort of get used to having a few defeats. We're not used to so it'd probably take the edge off it, wouldn't it? <laughs> Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row, dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Adam, when you do your research, depending on whether it's the National League, it's the Champions League or, you know, the Women's Champions, Champions League, is it is it as in-depth for each single one or do you find you have to maybe, even though non-league's got great coverage these days, do you have to dig a little bit further into that where you've got the, you know, the main Champions League and that sort of thing is more at your fingertips? Well, they all present different challenges, really. I mean, I suppose the natural assumption would be that it will be a lot harder to find information on perhaps National League players mm. than it would be on Premier League players. But if I sort of flip that round a bit and say to you that if you ask the average guy in the street about a Premier League player, there's probably, if they, if they watch a fair degree of football, they'll be able to tell you quite a lot about a Chelsea player or a Liverpool player or a Manchester United player. So in some ways, the information, you have to get information that people, I always say you try and tell people something they don't already know. So in that respect, it can in some ways be more difficult to do research for a Premier League game than perhaps it could be for a National League game where maybe it is easier to find out things about a player that people don't already know, if that makes sense. So you can flip it around in that respect. But I try to sort of give the, the same amount of time and effort that I would to a National League game as I would to a Champions League game or a Premier League game. Where you get your sources of information can be different, what the competition is. So to give you an example, it's a lot easier for me to phone up or get the phone number of a National League manager who's willing to spend half an hour on the phone with me than it would be for a Premier League manager. Um, That just almost goes without saying. It'd be a lot easier for me to go and knock on the door at the stadium of a National League manager and ask him, would he mind sitting down with me for 10 minutes than it would be for me to get that same match day access to a Jurgen Klopp or somebody of of that ilk. It's much more difficult for obvious reasons, really. So the access perhaps is better on a one-on-one perspective at a National League level. If you're doing a a commentary on Serie A, just for instance, I do a lot of that. Um, a lot of the information I might get from there is trawling through the internet and translating foreign newspapers. So as you can see, each different league that you cover, each competition that you cover presents its different challenges in, in the respect of research. But uh, they're all challenges that I think if you want to be a commentator, that you have to embrace them and, and love them, really. They've got to be labours of love for your research of each game, because I think if they're not, if you don't enjoy that side, if there isn't a bit of a sort of a geek inside you gets a bit of a kick out of finding yeah. out weird stuff about footballers. You're probably in the wrong job, really. 
hundred percent. How do you find with your brain so full of information? You've researched, I don't know, say a national league game, and then you're commentating on Serie A the following day. How do you switch your brain around from you know having all that info at non-league and then going you know into one of the top leagues in Europe? You're always juggling as a commentator in terms of prep. So I would typically during the season, I would imagine an average week would be about three games. You might get a week where you get four or five if it's particularly manic. You might get some weeks where it's just one or two, but I'd say the average is about three. So you're constantly juggling. So I might go from getting up in the morning, I might sit down and I might prep Milan against Juve and then I might switch in the afternoon to Dorking Wanderers against Chesterfield and you're just switching in between the two. It's similar in a way to how you just sort of screw one head off and put another one on if you're doing radio and TV. Very different disciplines, but you just have to have that ability to be able to switch between the two. And I just think the more experience that you get, the more used you get to that. I think if you were to speak to most commentators, you all have a similar sort of schedule in terms of the number of games that they're doing. It's amazing, you know, when you've done a game and you walk out of the commentary booth or you walk out of the stadium, you've almost forgotten that game by the time you've got to your car and you're on to the next one. It's, you know, I've, I've actually walked out of it, if you're doing it off tube, if you're doing it from a studio and you walk out of a booth and someone will, will say to you, you know, what, what was, what's the game like? And you, you almost go think for, have to think for a second because yeah. you've already in your mind yeah. moved on to the next one. So it, it is a bit of a treadmill at times. And, but you have to do, you have to be like that really, because the work does come thick and fast. If you, I suppose, if you, if you're doing well, which all of us want to do it, it, it it's a blessing that, that the work is there. And, you know, you, that you use regularly that you do have to almost be sort of spinning plates, if you like. So you've been at BT since pretty much the start now, haven't you? Was it you were one of the yeah. launch? Yep. So what was it like to sort of join a new channel and like completely new? Is We're so used to having Sky Sports. We had Sentanta and well, whatever it was called, ITV Sport for a while, and nearly broke the Football League and all that lot back in the day. So what was it like to be at a brand new um, TV station that was sort of trying to yeah. sort of rewrite the rules of football? Very exciting. I mean, for yeah. me, it was the, the biggest moment in my career, really. Um, still is. Because I'd got to a point I was in, so it was 2013, the summer of 2013, when BT Sport launched. And I got the feeling that in terms of just me personally, I was getting to a point where I was, I'd started a family, I was in my early 30s. And I was earning a decent living from, from doing commentary, but I was doing... Um, I wasn't at the doing the level, at the level that I wanted to be at and thought I could aspire to, really. And I'd sort of knocked on the door at Sky for a period of a number of years and had some encouraging responses, but I'd never quite cracked it. I'd never got a game, despite the fact they'd said, oh, you know, we like you and we'll give you a game soon, but just nothing ever came along. And um, so I was frustrated, really. And I got to a point where I thought, do I carry on doing this or do I change career maybe or take a sidestep into something different and do something where I feel I can get to the level or in terms of what I was earning as well, that was a part of it too, to, to get to that point where I was happy or content um, so when BT Sport came along, you know, you send that email and you sit and you hope. And then I remember pulling up on my drive after a shift at Trent FM in, in Nottingham and got back and my my phone lit up and I saw that it was from somebody with one of the producers at BT Sport and my heart was racing. And, oh, um, that matter thought, feeling, stomach churn and stuff. Yeah, and I thought, is it going to be another, you know, thanks, but no thanks. You get a lot of doors shut in your face when you're looking to make it as a broadcaster. And they just said, look, we'd really like, we really like what we've heard and seen, and we'd like to give you some games. And it was 
Mm. Um, euphoric, honestly, I would go as that far. I was euphoric and I couldn't wait to rush into the house to talk to my partner at the time and say yeah. to her, you know, how excited I was, how much this could change our lives. And it did. And I've never looked back really. And I just, cause they gave me a chance. I've always wanted to repay that and wanted to prove people right, really. Because if someone gives you a chance in an industry, as you guys know, where there's, you know, a tiny number of jobs and there's mm-hmm. this many people that want to do them. If someone gives you a chance, bite their hand off and say, yeah. you know, you were right to give me that chance. And yeah. I think I've always been very keen to do that. So what were the first sort of games you sort of commentated on? What what, what do you remember them? Like what leagues were they? Were they yeah, yeah. like, yeah, what were they? Just tell us about that. Yeah, they were League 1 and Serie A games. The first yeah. one was a, a League 1 game. And um, yeah, remember remember how I felt before it and, you know, that nerves. And I think the biggest feeling going into doing that first game, waiting so long for an opportunity, uh, you know, a a nationwide broadcaster like BT Sport was just don't mess it up, you know, do that. I suppose like you might say to a a young footballer making their debut, just play the percentages, don't do anything daft, you know, and I kind of thought, felt like that really. But yeah, as soon as you started doing the games and you started to, um, not get your feet under the table, but just feel like you deserve to be there. Because I suppose when you, you start something new like that, particularly when the station was launching itself yeah. as well, I suppose you, you are going to have those nerves, maybe a little bit of self-doubt even to begin with. But I think deep down, I knew that I could do it. And I knew that if someone showed that faith in me, that I, that I could move move up the ladder there as well. I, was, I wasn't ever just content with, um, you know, just... I wanted it ultimately to be doing the Champions League and the Premier League. And I've always been very ambitious and um, probably some of our bosses over the years would probably say that I'm badger than maybe too much too for much. These, these opportunities. But I think you just have to, If you, I, I just, I say I'm somebody who's always been ambitious and want to go yeah. as far as I absolutely possibly can. And it's really exciting to answer your question as well, to be, at the start of something. I was the same with Prime Video when they launched. Yeah, I saw you on Amazon, yeah. Yeah, so it's really exciting because you feel like you can grow something. And and with Mm. Prime Video video as well, that is, it was at at the edge of technological development as well with, you know, showing all the games at the same time via the web as as well. So that was very exciting in in that respect. But uh, I'm proud of what BT Sport has achieved. And as we're talking, I suppose, more specifically here about the National League, I think what they've done for that league is... Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's fantastic. I mean, can you imagine any other country in the world? And this this isn't just talking about BT Sport, but this is talking about the pyramid and you know, the, the, at the level of interest there is going right the right way down the pyramid that I can't think of any other country in the world where you would have the fifth tier of football being broadcast live every weekend. I mean, I think that is just something to be so proud of and to be so excited by. Uh, it's just, I think it's absolutely brilliant. And yeah, I'm really proud of, what a company that I work for has, has done in terms of covering that level of football and the exposure it gives it. It was interesting you say that though about like, you know, any other league in the world, do it, any other TV broadcast doing that because my, one of my best friends from work, my colleague um, is Italian and he supports Fiorentina. So I took him to a Worthing game last season. Worthing were averaging probably a thousand gate in step six of um, football. Oh, sorry, step seven of football, wasn't it? Was it step mm. seven? Yeah, it was yeah, step seven. Um, and we were over a thousand and he couldn't believe it. It was like, there's nothing like this in Italy. There's like, you will get non-league, but you wouldn't get a thousand people there. You get yeah, it's amazing. 10 men and his dog sort of thing like that. And he was like, mm. this is unbelievable. And I think that's what's BT have drawn also another level because there was also this dissatisfaction with the possibility of this, you know, European championship, like, with the Super League and you know a lot of people went towards and I think supporting your local club and seeing how amazing non-league football can be 
Mm. It must be quite nice sometimes when you get to go to those games because I imagine, and this might be an anaraki sort of thing, do you, a lot of your broadcasts, are they done from the BT studios or do you ever get to go abroad for many of the games if you're doing Champions League or like Liga or La Liga or Serie A, sorry? Yeah, I mean, for example, Serie A, they're all done from a studio um, in, in London. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, the famous Peter Brackley um, talking when he mm. did the Channel 4 Football Italia. He, I, re- I was reading a book where he was saying that he <laughs> it always be, used to make him laugh because the, the most of those were done remotely from London yeah. as well. He said he, when he was maybe coming on a train in Brighton and the guy there would say, you got back from Milan quick, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the amount of times that, and that happens to me all the time. You know, people say, how did you get from... I don't know Chesterfield's to 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 uh, you know the Turin on our Sunday night. You know, you yeah. Sometimes have to explain to, because the sound mixes can be so good that it's hard to yeah. tell. You know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, some of it is is done remotely and and some is on site. Um, I've I think if I ever do a Premier League game, that will always be on site. A lot of the British clubs' involvement in Europe that will be done on site. So. Um, it can involve travelling abroad, which I'm hoping to do more of this coming season. Um, COVID kind of didn't help with that was obviously traveling became more difficult, which from a personal perspective was a bit frustrating at the time with that, because I just started really being sent abroad by BT. I'd gone to places like Istanbul and and Barcelona. I covered Wolves a couple of years ago when they had their run in Europe and got to some great places. I went to Kiev with Chelsea. So I'd kind of just started doing that. And then when COVID struck, obviously broadcasters across the board had to rethink really how they did those sort of things for a little while. But hopefully that's starting to get back to normal. But it, it, it is a mixture. Some of you will do on site and, and, and some of you will do off a monitor. And obviously if you're doing it off a monitor, it does pose some challenges. But that is, in again, across the board, a lot of broadcasters are doing perhaps more stuff remotely. But it, it's, it's a bit of a mixed bag in that respect. Just on that COVID stuff, Adam, obviously the National League were, were allowed to have their playoffs during those summer months. And obviously you had yeah. nobody in the stadiums. And then when it came to the season start, I think I watched Dagenham and Wildstone, I think it was when, when, when Dean Brennan was there. And just hearing the players talking, shouting, you could hear everything because other than that, it would be like a pin drop. How How was that like for you as a broadcaster? You used to having you know, fans inside, even if you're in a booth commentating, you've got all the atmosphere you can see. How 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 strange was it for you at that point? Yeah, it was strange, but I think the overriding feeling for me was just to be so grateful to be able to do my job because, mm. it, I mean, I suppose whatever your job was, whatever your pursuit was, to not be able to do it was so frustrating during that period of time. So when it came back, it was very much the feeling of, well, this isn't ideal, but it's better yeah. than nothing. And that was really my thought process. I felt a lucky and I felt a responsibility that we were still able to go to ground. I mean, I went to quite a lot of Premier League matches when nobody could go. Um, so that you, you do, you felt a responsibility to the audience even more than maybe you perhaps normally do because you thought, mm-hmm. well, you know, all these people that can't go and we're lucky enough that we can. Mm-hmm. And that was always at the forefront of my mind. Something that I was always quite conscious of was because there was no crowd noise, uh, the pitch of your voice was maybe something that you were quite conscious of not to go over the top with it to compensate yes. for the fact yeah. that there wasn't anybody there. The fake crowd noise was one thing that really did for <laughs> me. Um, I had to turn it off in the end because it kept throwing me because it was such a hard job for the people that had to press that button that corresponded to the appropriate crowd noise for the moment that had just happened. I remember doing a, a Premier League game at Newcastle. It was, it was actually on my 40th birthday. So um, I always remember that. And there was... 
someone had obviously, I don't even know where they were doing it or who was doing it, but someone must have had like a soundboard in front of them. And this shot had gone fizzing wide. I can't remember whether it was from Newcastle or Liverpool. I think it was a Newcastle player. But anyway, it went fizzing wide. And at St. James Park, you, you are quite far away from the action. And I, I, I the, the, the noise that got played as, as the ball went wide was, ah, as in a goal. So I've called it that it's gone wide and then the crowd noise corresponded to a goal and, I, and I, my heart's going like this. I'm thinking, have I got that completely wrong? And I think they just, they haven't seen it right or they pressed the wrong button, but my heart was pounding because I thought I've completely called that wrong for a second and uh, mm. so that's the worst nightmare for a commentator to get to get something like that wrong. So um, yeah, it could be, it, it, at the end of the day though, I think like I said, the overriding emotion at that time was just, thank goodness we've just got some football to talk about. Yeah, it was nice. It was a it was a morale boost coming back to watch it for yeah, and how weird it was. It was. Well, I, I was. Do you know we were we were even more lucky than anyone because we had the rights for the Bundesliga at the time. I remember that. So so that was the they? Yeah. yeah they were the first league back. Yeah. So my boss said to me, "Look, we're going to have a very small group of commentators, and we're going to basically divide all the German games between you because the reason being it's got to be a small group is because you're going to have to do it from your house. So we've got to get the kit." out to you and we've only got so much kit that we can put out hmm. so there was a, gr- a small group of us um who were doing i mean at one point i think we'd like doing three games a week four games a week but it was brilliant i was like bring it on because it was like yes i can actually just sit and talk about football and you had this bizarre situation where i was commentating from my spare room over the internet basically i, I remember yeah watching yeah, yeah. by a broadband connection um which was just incredible that that was even possible really wouldn't be able to do that down here. The internet's crap where I am. I'm like, I'm still on the Well, I had now. to change all my internet because um, I had to get, I had to, we, we had to get people in to, to rejig it all and stuff to, to get. Well, I'm sure working, up. I'm sure working for BT, that's not. Yeah, that exactly. Yeah. Really. So that was, <laughs> that, that was a help clearly. Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, we, we did it. And I remember just doing games and my daughters would just be sat behind me on their Nintendos or whatever, while I'm commentating on a game and, you know, it was something, at half time, I'd just sit around and have a chat with them before, and then I'd just be like, get a count in my ear, and I'm like, hang on, girls, I've got to go back on now. And with my fish tank next to me, and I'd walk downstairs at half time and make myself a cup of tea. It was just so surreal and weird, and Very but strange. Uh, yeah, strange times. And at the same time as well, non-league became quite inventive and took the initiative to start streaming games, and, yeah. and you know, a lot of clubs were obviously having their games filmed beforehand, and you know, onto YouTube and whatever afterwards, and that. Do you see that as a, a long-term thing that's going to increase a lot more? Well, again, we talked earlier about potential revenue streams. And I suppose at that level of the game, you've always got to be looking for, for ways of making money because there isn't a lot of it about. Um, so I, I think that that is something that, that the clubs will, if they feel that they can monetize it and it's worth their while, they will do it. Um, I, I, something that, it's funny enough, actually, shortly before we came on, I saw a League Two club had said that they're going to stop doing print copies of their programme from this coming season, which really asked, that's such a shame. You know, I, because I, I don't know about you guys, but I've got boxes and boxes yeah. full of programs. Yeah. If, Adam, do you, want to get, do you want me to get my wife in? Because she actually will <laughs> agree with you and say, uh, maybe get your partner on. So I'm sure they've got the same thing. Like, can we get rid of these somehow? And I'm like, no, you're not getting rid of them. <laughs> yeah, what, some, some wives everywhere would be quite happy yeah, that there yeah, would be a lot more yeah, story space, maybe. Yeah. But I just thought it was just a, 
yeah, a real shame because it's just such a special part, isn't it? Of when I was at the Lionesses game last night, I was like, where can I get a program? Where can yeah. it? It's like your little bit of that game that you keep, isn't it? It's like that souvenir. Yeah. So that maybe is a bit of a shame, but that's another way perhaps where clubs are looking at it and going, is it worth our while? Are we making enough money? Or if we go digital, can we start to get enough people still looking at the program, but just in a digital? It's like, again, it's like going, how we get into a stadium. Like last night, you know, I'm having to say to my mum, who's a pensioner, before we go in, look, mum, I'm going to give you the phone. I'm going to pass it back through the turnstile. <laughs> you've got to swipe and you've got to stick it in, into the yeah. reader. And yeah. everybody's, everything has to change. Everything has to evolve because that's just the way of the world, isn't it? That's how the how, how things move on and advance. And, you know, if we were to look at how we watch football perhaps 100 years ago, we might look at that and go, what, they, they mm. did that? And so things have to change. I get that. But um, I, I, I think... It all boils down to revenue, doesn't it? If clubs think that it will help them make money, it's, it's a bit like the with removing the, the bringing the railway seating in. I guess at some stadiums as well. If fans tell people that improves the experience and it allows them to get more people maybe into the grounds as well, and it's safe, which is obviously the most important thing of all, then clubs are, are going to want to do that because it, it helps every. If it improves the fan experience, that makes more people more likely to come and improves revenue streams etc etc so i think they're always got to be open to stuff i think i think the program one's an interesting one because i always used to buy a program when i went to barnet because i read it on the tube on the way home you know i've I've got a good 45 minutes back into london and then an hour or so you know now it's two hours back so i'd buy one for that specific point now it's gone online and and i think we've had it online for two or three years i could probably count on two hands and i've spare fingers how many times i've actually you know that's interesting you know, That's on the tube, can't get signal. So I can't read it on the way back once I go, you know, back underground. You know, we're lucky, obviously, at Barnet, you've got four or five stops where you're outside in the fresh air still. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I tend not to read it. And then on the flip side of that, um, I've I've got my own, my own blog I do as well, which I actually sponsor the podcast with called www.footballwriting.co.uk. Let's get that in there. Yeah, um, but Adam might read it. I think he's busy. On the other side of it, though, I actually write columns for some of the non-league clubs around. Um, and it's another thing I actually charge them to do because I make it unique to them. So if I write for five clubs and they're all at home on the same day, they all get their own column and you wouldn't, you could pick up two different programmes and it wouldn't have the same column in. Yeah. Um, and again, you know, it's something, it's something different. A lot of, a lot of them have sort of come to me and said, can you do something for us? It's something different. We want in the program for people to read. It's not just the usual bog standard stuff you get at non-league, especially when you go down a little bit more. Because again, it's volunteer led in most cases. But yeah. um, I've seen a few clubs this year as well, actually come back and go, we're going to print one again this year. So I don't know if there's a slight flip round again, where, um, you know, especially the older generation and those that don't have a smartphone and not looking yeah. on to read it and they really do want one. Yeah, I suppose if you're, I mean, talking about your own personal experience, obviously the, everyone will have a different experience, mm. but I found that really interesting because I suppose if you're, some of the revenue from a programme is obviously advertisers. And if yeah. advertisers think that they're, their advert is not going to get looked at as much. Will it be as viable for them or will it interest them Mm. as much? So I personally think just my own personal opinion, I suppose the the age that you are, how tech savvy you are probably influences it quite a bit. I'd like to think I'm fairly tech tech savvy um, and I'm in my early forties. Personally, I think it's too soon to to go completely digital for programs. I think there's still an appetite out there. 
people who want it, a copy of it in their hands to read it. Yeah. But every club's got to make their own decisions to, to see if it works for them, I suppose. It's interesting you say that though, Adam, because I wonder if it's something to do with, you know, the advertising. Obviously, a lot of grounds are now getting these digital scoreboards, you know, advertising boards around the edge of the pitch. Like, are they looking at saying their money's better spent there? Because you're, especially if you're on BT on a non-league game, I know I've seen Wrexham have got one, but also, you know, Wrexham are money boys and stuff like that. But there's also some former league teams in the National League and they have the electronic advertising boards. And you're thinking you're broadcasting BT Sports you get your whole advert around the whole pitch for like yeah. 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and thinking, what's better, a programme or that? And then maybe the advertisers, because I think advertisers are the ones that keep the programmes running. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you're a, if you're a local business, I suppose you are going to be looking at, at that and making your decision as to what's best for you. I think it's the kudos. Yeah. We talked earlier about local radio and maybe the demise of local sports programmes. I think there's a real kudos, personally, mm. for advertisers who associate themselves with the local football club can- institutions um i always felt that with the radio stations that i worked for that covered local sport well and took a pride in it i thought it was such a great selling point oh, excellent the area because it says we're invested in your area and there aren't many better ways to say that you care about an area than to put your weight behind the local football club because mm. even if you don't like football you want the team to be doing well if you maybe even if you only go once a year if the team's doing well, you, there might be some fans who only might only turn up if they get to a playoff final or something, but they still will keep an eye out for the results. And if people, they'll maybe look kindly on a business or a radio station that is looking to um, further the cause of the local football club. So I'm surprised in a way that, that as I say, that local radio in, has, has moved away from, from that by and large. I mean, I'm quite lucky actually where I live that Mansfield 103.2, who I started out with, they still have a local sports program. That's they still great. have a, yeah. even like a magazine type show on a Friday night preview in the weekend's action. Then they have a full yeah. local sports. Yeah. I mean, they even cover the local cricket over the summer, Brilliant. Uh, which I think is absolutely fantastic. Cause that's what local radio should be for in my that's opinion. That's what I miss. That's what I miss. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess it's like you were saying, though, going, going back to what we were saying about, you know, obviously I said me and Pete do the commentary for Worthing and um, we also do a monthly podcast. I guess that's the sort of modern way of replacing the local news and local team programs because a lot of clubs do podcast now if it's especially if it's a fan-led pro- podcast you know we keep it fan-led the club have asked us if we want to make it official but we chose not to not for any reason that we're anti the club but obviously if there was ever that time that you had to come and criticize a club or get a bit of controversial view on then you obviously couldn't do that on official club channel so it's kind of like that old fans call in that all sort of thing that we kind of can do on that but it's just yeah. I guess it's a modern way and it is shame though because it would be nice to listen to a Friday sports program or mm. you know get ready for your weekend but we don't get that and that's what's sad the youngsters like your daughters that are starting to get to it won't have that opportunity growing into the mm. football world yeah I funnily enough I actually messaged my old boss who's still there now and, yeah uh, I, I said look I think it, the local people around here are so lucky that, that you guys still do this um, that you put the resources into it um, and clearly their audience appreciate it because yeah. they're, they're still going strong. So That's I think brilliant. there still is an appetite out there. It could be mm. one of those things where you you were talking about Trevor earlier, where you said, look, a club has done the print, the sorry, the um, online version of a programme yeah. has ended up going back. I wonder whether ultimately that sort of thirst for, as it is localness a word? <laughs> you know, yeah. that appetite for local news and sport. And I wonder whether it might eventually actually go full circle and come back. I don't know. Who, who knows whether, mm. you, you know, James, you were saying about podcasts, maybe feeling that I think you're actually right to a degree. I think people are much mm. more, there's much more niche broadcasting out there where people can say, you know, they can look for a very specific thing mm. that's appropriate to them. So who knows where it will go eventually, but um 
I, I wouldn't be surprised if it did actually come back in. in well, I think with direction. the popularity of non-league and how it's been getting more popular once again, and like you see in figures of crowds going bigger and bigger, you could end up seeing that. You might get some local boss going, oh, hang on a second. Or, you know, maybe maybe the big bosses up at Leicester Square for the big capital companies, whatever it's called now, might actually say, well, put a little bit more local sport in the news because it's popular. Mm. You'd love to think it, but I sadly can't see it happening with the big, big ones, but hopefully the local no. ones that are still happening around. Yeah. Hopefully. would be nice yeah um what we're going to do we'll obviously start wrapping up now because had your time nearly now it's been great to chat and sort of be a bit anoraki about local radio again and taking me back to my student days when i wanted to get into it but um obviously non-league podcast what what were your thoughts on the national league last season were you surprised oh. the big boys wrexham <laughs> didn't didn't go get promoted do you, are you surprised at that do you think um i just thought it was just a brilliant brilliant season um you know it took it we took it all the way. I, I was really lucky because I, the two main leagues I did really last season where I was doing every single week was Serie A and the National League. And they both kind of went all the way. So yeah. um, it was great in that respect. Um, or you always get, and that's the great thing, one of many great things of covering the National League on BT Sport is that we can get under the skin of these amazing stories that you get at National League level. Um, you get great stories at any level of football, but very often it's those sort of underdog stories, isn't it, that you yeah. get at National League level? 100%. Um, which is so fantastic to be able to bring them to a wider audience. And we're able to do that year in, year out. And we had loads of those last season. But what we also had, particularly in the, with the culmination of the campaign with the playoffs, was just absolute incredible drama. Um, Almost lunacy though, wasn't it? Which yeah, those, those, play, those playoff semis were just unbelievable. Yeah. Like, yeah. what the hell was going on there? I mean, like, Look, like, let me show you this. Gold, gold, let gold. me show you this. I got this today in the post. Oh yeah, I saw you put that up on Twitter. Yeah, it's going. <laughs> oh, office, fantastic! Yeah. He, yeah. He just, uh, do you want to just explain <laughs> to listeners what you're showing us, Adam? Yeah, it's well. I thought so much. I don't know if you can see on the glare there. Yeah, but it's, see, it's yeah, basically correct. it's a framed image of the. Well, it's actually of the the Grimsby team with the uh, above it's the scoreline and the goal scorers and the date of, of the playoff semi-final between uh, Wrexham and Grimsby last season um, on the with a, a sort of a football pitch background for people who can't see it. Um, and I just wanted, I was sat there one night and I thought, I need some sort of memento of that yeah. game because it meant it was that good. And I thought, I need some sort of, I've got on my office wall, I've got all sort of, sort of football type um, yeah games that I've covered that have mean a lot to me and, and just great football is like I've got a picture of Tardelli on there and I've got Neymar and Messi and Suarez when they were the three so I've got all sorts on my office wall but I thought no nah, I have to have a moment <laughs> so I ordered that and it came today funnily enough before I've spoken to you so um, yeah that's probably one of the, the best games I've ever not just seen yeah I was going to say do you think it's one of the best ones you've ever had the privilege yeah. of commentating on yeah I would were you, were mean, you, were, did you feel like you'd gone through like uh, 10 rounds with Tyson I think, yeah. or something like that at the end didn't you like you, you know not, yeah. not just the players needed a breather you and Adam needed yeah. one as well well, I've, if you ever watch that game back and you watch the winning goal, funnily enough, a Grimsby fan said this to me the other day, and I didn't think anyone would actually notice this. But as the throw-in, the, the winning goal comes from a throw-in, you might remember, from yeah, Cropper, yeah, yeah. goes yeah. into Waterfall. And I was I was so almost spent <laughs> by that point that you can actually, I'm actually slightly breathless as I'm commentating. As a, and that was totally genuine, I promise you. It, it was just, it taken so much out of, to commentate on that game that I was genuinely sort of getting to the point wasn't where it was a really like, warm day as well, wasn't it? I think, uh, yeah, I, I think remember, it yeah. was, yeah. yeah. Um, so it was just, just 
it was just it was just crazy. I mean, yeah. it's not really any other word for it beyond crazy. Yeah, nine goals. Um, and the, the whole run that Grimsby had, I think they crossed the three games, which had never been done before. Nobody had ever won, gone from being in the eliminators to, to actually winning the thing. But they only actually held the lead across those three games for, I think it was about 20 minutes. I think it was certainly under half an hour of one of the stats guys was telling me. Across three games. Hmm. It tells you what a staggering achievement that was. And, you know, the late goals that there was. I believe it. It was fantastic. And so, yeah, it was just a wonderful season. And yeah. it's good. the next one's got a lot to live up to. Do you think <laughs> you expected more craziness next season as well? Yeah, you te- it just kind of tends to go with the territory with the National yeah. League because it's so unpredictable. Um, that One of the reasons that it's so unpredictable is because you look at some players in the National League and on their given day, They've got the ability to play at a much higher level, you know, cha- even championship. I've seen National League players who on their day could play championship Premier League level. They wouldn't look out of place. What separates them from championship and Premier League players is consistency. Yeah, yeah. that's what I was going to yeah. say. So yeah. Oh, yeah. that's why it's so hard to predict because, and it's why people saying that Wrexham are just going to have won the league by February or March is it could happen. Look, I could have egg on my face, but I don't think it will because... No even though they've been signing football league players, I think there is still, it's so hard to get that level of consistency where you win week after week. And I know that we saw that last season with Stockport, but not all the way through. Yes, towards the end, but if you look at the beginning of the season, mm. you know, they were, when they, they sat their manager. So, you know, mm. it's so hard to go through a whole National League season and consistently churn those results out week after week yeah. after week. So demanding as well, physically on, mentally and physically on the players too. So um, it wouldn't surprise me if we saw uh, more craziness and madness and no. unpredictability. Yeah. Well, you look, we look at the, um, you'd like to say you like an underdog story and it might as well link it with our first episode. We said we have Mark White from Dorking and the story of them coming from all the oh, way from yeah. wow. Sunday, pretty much Sunday league all the way up to the top pinnacle of non-league. And I think that's one of the first ma- matches BBC, uh, sorry, BT are covering, aren't they? I think this yeah. season, I think Dorking. So it'd be interesting to see and, uh, you know, what how they do this season. Is there any, so I, I know you obviously have to remain unbiased, but is there any sort of ones you'd expect to be up there and around the promotion in and around the, like, who, who's yeah. your favourite to go up? sort of thing yeah I, th- I think it's very difficult not to make Wrexham the favourites despite what I've just said I hope I'm not doesn't sound like I'm contradicting myself I I think they will win the league but I just don't think it will be the procession maybe that perhaps some people seem to I know it's the bookies of you know they are predicting basically a procession or they were the last time yeah. I looked at the odds um I don't think it'll be that but I think they should win the league when you look at their resources and I know people will talk about the money with Wrexham and there are those that are not a fan of that um but <laughs> That in itself would be an incredible story when you think that this will be their 15th season mm. in a row at this yeah. level of football. So yeah. for them to go up, I mean, if you look at it just from their fans' perspective, just for them, take the money out of it, that would be, what would that mean to them? What would that mean to their town if they can finally yeah. get out of the National League? That would be a quite st- incredible story just in itself. But I think Chesterfield might might uh, have a good go. I think Notts County, despite losing Cal Roberts, which is a blow. Yeah. Um I think Rodriguez is a fantastic player and it looks like he's going to be staying. They've, they've made some of the eye-catching signings as well. So I'd expect that they should be in and around it. We we always get a team who, who finished the previous season strongly, who then go on to be very strong the next campaign. And 
maybe Dagenham and Redbridge, perhaps we could look at them, the way that they finished the last campaign. Um, I tell you, York are interesting. That they've mm-hmm. they've brought in a yeah. lot of players with experience at this mm-hmm. level who've come in. Another team who might fit into that bracket who had a decent sort of end to the season is South End, who, who I've been quite impressed with as well. I think they've got their house in order now. Then you've got the you know the teams who've come down. You, what do we expect from them? Scunthorpe are going through an ownership issue, aren't they? And you know they've what 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 we're going to get from them, particularly if they get taken over. Oldham, similar scenario, isn't it? So. Um, and they're two really big clubs for this level of football. Yeah. So everywhere throughout, and you've already mentioned Dorking's story. I mean, I love that quote from their manager when he says, it's like real life championship manager. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what a story. You know, how, how good a, is that? He's so, such a good guy. So yeah. He's such a good great. guy, Mark. You have to, you have to go and, uh, you have to go and chat to him after you've done the game or something because yeah, he'll, he'll chat to you for hours. He's such a good guy, yeah. and you know, yeah. and we like an underdog story here. So you know, um, I would normally end it by saying, "What was your favourite moment of the season?" I think you've already <laughs> said that literally in the last bit. Have you got a second favourite moment of the season? Um, second favourite moment. Um. Or just you personally, like, you know, something that happened, you know, this season. Well, you know, specifically on the National League? Or, or, yeah, or just in your commentary sort of thing, like any sort of thing. Yeah, I think about, I mean, it's not the National League, but if yeah. we were to pick out another moment that... Well, that's why it's the me... second best. You said the best yeah. one was National League. Right, fine, there we go. This if is a non-league me, podcast. <laughs> it gives me the sort of goosebumps and I will always remember it was as a big fan of Italian football. The age I am, I grew up with in the 90s with football Italian. Mm, and yeah, I, I'm well. so fortunate, yeah, that I, I get to commentate on it every Sunday with Galazzo Live now. And uh, we had a, a real title race for the ages in that. And at the end of the season, Sandra Tonali's goal that won it very late on for Milan at Lazio. Um, the meaning of that goal, how important it was, um, probably ultimately swung the title race in Milan's favour. That they hadn't won it in a decade and more. Mm. So that was a that was a real goose a moment that I will always look back. I think if I look back on, on eventually when the might gets hung hung up and I look back on my career and I look at that season, yeah, I think I'll look at Grimsby's. And, and particularly the Wrexham game, I will look at that and I will remember the, the Serie A. But also, I'll tell you what, you've got me thinking here now, I'm doing it <laughs> off the top of my head. I was, I was very fortunate to be at um, the King Power for when Tottenham scored twice in injury time to beat oh. Leicester. Oh, yeah. Remember with, yeah, yeah, with Bergwijn. Yeah. yeah, so I covered that. And um, anyway, to be on a gantry with Glenn Hoddle stood alongside me and me looking at Glenn Hoddle going, <laughs> you know, like this, like yeah. with my eyes wide open as to what is happening here, you know, it was a yeah. very special moment for me as well. Uh, I'll, a, a, a moment I will always remember. It yeah. was, um, yeah, incredible end to that game. Well, I think, um, as you said, she liked Italian football so much and my Italian friend was saying, I was saying, if you're a Tina fan, I think it's only fair to say, to ask you how you think, as, as an expert of the Italian league, <laughs> uh, Syria, how do you think Fiorentina are going to do this year? Well, I'm ex- be pushing again. I'm excited for them because they, they've they've had a lot of investment there in recent not not yeah. masses but they've you know there's been investment and they're slowly but surely improving the squad. They've got Jovic in who didn't get really a kick at Real Madrid, so yeah. he's an exciting signing for them. We'll see if he can replace the goals of Lavic. They're back in Europe, which really is where they should be, and they've been away from Europe for far too long. So they've got to balance that with domestic responsibilities. But I look at the squad and they've got some really good players in there right throughout the side. And I'd be pretty confident that they will challenge for the European places again this season. But it's Serie A once more is going to be super competitive. I mean, we're seeing, you know, Dybala going in at Roma. 
Um, so and Jose Mourinho still there, and yeah. they won a trophy last season. So I think they'll challenge for the top four. And you've already got Juve, perhaps going to be stronger again. And can Milan defend their title? Will Inter grab it back again? So, yeah. Serie, I'm doing a try my best, here, lads, to to, <laughs> to sell the coverage of Serie. No, I, mean, I, I think may as well kill two birds with one stone. Well, we're gonna, we're still referred to as a voice of non-league, so I don't care. <laughs> we don't care about Serie. I'll just doing it to get my mates eager. Like, say, oh wow, you mentioned. But... I think they could do okay this yeah. season. No, Fiorentina, yeah. Adam, it's been fascinating to talk to you. Thank you uh, for our chat. It's been a real pleasure. Um, I look forward to hearing Thanks your voice um, throughout the season. You never know if you're at one of the games commentating that we go to next season, we'll pop by and say hello to you. It'd but, be nice. Um, yeah, that'd be It'd be, be nice to meet you in person. But You'll thank be you at so Barnet, much. won't you? Um, Bank Holiday Monday. Yeah, we. I, I, to be honest, off the top of the head, I can't. My head, I can't remember all the fixtures. <laughs> your diary, picked, your but... diary is probably so full. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. like, I can't remember <laughs> what games doing here, there, and everywhere. But yeah, it's. But we 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 will cover. I mean, we always say this because we get mm. a lot of questions on things like social yeah. media. People, when will my team be on? Will my mm. team be on? Well, there is it. We we always try and show. I can't remember if it's by the end. I think it's by the end of October that. Yeah, it's, we it's can't always early, guarantee yeah. it, but we always mm. try because things can get called off and weather with the weather, but. Yeah. We try our very best to show every team by the end of October. So that is that is the plan at, at the minute. So anyone listening who's thinking, will my team be on? That is our plan to get to every, or to show every, not to get to every team's home ground, but to show every team by the end of October. And then from then on, we, we sort of maybe can't do every single team over again, but yeah. you, you sort of maybe pick the games a bit more in terms of what's relevant to certainly a relegation battle, title race whatever um but yeah it's great that we're able to get to see every team at least the once adam summerton the uh bt sport voice of non-league and some other leagues we don't care about thank you for joining <laughs> us on uh, pleasure the non-league podcast have a great season and the rest of your summer and uh hopefully we'll catch up soon with you buddy yeah all the best with the podcast as well thanks look after thank yourself you. well trevor that's the end of summer well for us anyway the summer specials five amazing specials with some fantastic people that have given their time for us and some fantastic feedback from our fans and new subscribers that we've welcomed over the summer. We've seen our Facebook and Twitter numbers grow and, you know, I hope it just for us, it means the world, doesn't it? It's, it's been brilliant, hasn't it? I think, I think as well where we've picked from the very, very top of the pyramid at, with Dorking Wanderers and we've gone down to Joe Bennett, Littlehampton, who was at step five last year and Jimmy Dean's gone from step uh, three to two. We've had a BT Sport commentator. We've had, you know, a little bit of, um, of what you know, away from the actual pitch and been people filming and everything. I think it's been a really nice mix. Yeah, it's been great. And I think it's really attracted um, the worlds of non-league. I meant to say to Jimmy the other day, we should have um, actually said to him, uh, why don't we, have you got anyone in mind that could do a Midlands correspondent from like his old league? Because he yeah. must know someone. We don't really need the National North because we've got Chris covering all the sort of Northern area, but it'd be nice to have someone like from there, but maybe we'll have to get back in touch with Jimmy. But it's just been fantastic. And as I said, that's why we love doing it. You know, we're waking up every day on our WhatsApp group to screenshots of private messages from people saying, oh, we love it. I'm a new subscriber here. And, you know, and there's people that want to come on and you know we're going to have hopefully some really nice um sessions throughout the season because these summer specials have been so successful i think we are talking about doing them over sort of the christmas period or winter period again aren't we and we'll maybe drop one in between episodes every week not every week but on the odd occasion if we get an interview because it's just been great yeah it's been nice to have so much great feedback from everybody some you know lots of new listeners if it wasn't for you listening then there's no point in us doing it really um and it's mm. been great to see it's really grown the last two or three months. And again, you know, maybe maybe it's the calibre of guests that we've managed to pick up this summer. And again, if we can slip one in, as you say, Christmas time, Easter time, maybe 
some odd runs through the season as well. That'll, you know, pique everyone's interest and uh, get a few more people to listen as well. I think we have to say, we've said it to everyone, everyone in the interview, what's been your favourite moment past season? I think we've got to say what's been our favourite moment of the summer specials. I'll start and I think it could be uh, Mark White's off-air, unrecorded, chats about certain things that will never be repeated by us and you might have to kill us because he was he had us in stitches didn't he yeah yeah I think um do you know I think you could you could pick pick something from from, from each of the guests we have I didn't do a bunch of amateurs with with you and Gaz uh but I've done all the others and I I think if you pick from from markets you know the the story but you know he, he's as open as any National League manager I speak to um he's no you know he is no different uh, he's quite happy to be, you know, very open about Dorking Wanderers. You know, Joe Ben was was great for an hour, really laid back. And I think with him, interesting to understand that football isn't his first priority. It's his teaching career is what, he, you know, comes first for him. You know, Jimmy Dean, superb story again for Peterborough Sports, coming from step six all the way up to, to step two. And they are going to be, you know, as they admit, one of the smaller, smaller clubs. And then, you know, we've just spoken to the to the league commentator for BT Sport, Adam Summerton, who gets, you know, access to every single National League club. You know, I don't think we could have picked a, a better set. And I, I, I'm, I, I, there's no way I can say one of those guys were any better than the other. They were all superb. And it's nice enough be, to give up their time. And we've got tickets on the doors at a couple of clubs extra now, you know, with VIPs. Prawn yeah, sandwiches. Yeah, that's nice. You know, they I mean, prawn I... sandwich at National League. I don't know. What, what, what would it be? What would their equivalent be? Well, if you if you if you go to Wroxham, mate, in um, the Ishbian League North, you'll get homemade cake at halftime if you go into the boardroom. That's a, you you know, a nice one up there. there but um, I mean, you know, even with my blogging and stuff, there's lots of places. If if I if I spoke to clubs and said I'm coming, they'll put me in for free. It's not what I do it for. It's nice. It's yeah. nice to have that appreciation. But to be honest. You know, I feel non-league clubs need the money. You know, I'm not quibbling over paying, but if someone someone wants to chuck chuck a free ticket this way, I'm you know I'm no. really grateful and thank you very much for that. So we've wrapped up our summer specials. They've been fantastic. I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed doing them. I like that side because obviously I like what we do with you boys and everything like that. And you know, there's a chat every sort of other week. But I also love being able to talk to these people in non-league and record it for the listener that people that might not have the access or the tools to actually get a one-on-one time with them. So thank you for the feedback. Continue on. Um, Next couple of weeks, if you're listening to this at the end of summer, at the end of sort of first week of August, uh, we will be um, starting our coverage within the next couple of weeks back to the old school of uh, Premier Non-League podcast bi-weekly. Um, and I guess we can say to it now, we may have a player sponsorship deal coming up. We'll leave that to you and we can announce it on the show. But um, that's a bit exciting, trying to get our name out there a little bit more and supporting the Non-League club, isn't it, Trev? Yeah, something a little bit different. Um, you know, we're trying to evolve each year, aren't we? Um, and, do a, you know, do a little bit more to uh, to get ourselves out there and I think we've done really well this summer so now it's about you know taking another couple of steps to go up another level or two yeah and we've got a couple of ideas in the pipeline which could elevate us as we said it could uh, involve you fans as well maybe um, but we won't we won't we won't jinx ourselves until that sign seal delivered, but a couple of exciting things, Trev, that we've got in the pipeline that I think is going to be really exciting. Cause again, guys, as, as you know, we don't make money out of this. We don't, we don't take any money out of this at all. Um, Trev kindly sponsors it for his own pocket for the podcaster for his footballwriting.co.uk to uh, host the blog on uh, SoundCloud. But apart from that, we don't take a penny and we're not looking at taking a penny. We just do it for what we love doing and we want to bring it to you for what we can. We want to bring the best coverage and best non-league coverage we can for 
no money at all um but we love your comments please keep sending them if uh, you've got any ideas for the podcast give us a shout you know our twitter handle at the pnlp we are on instagram we're on facebook or at the pnlp at hotmail.com if you want to drop us an email apart from that trev i'm looking forward to the next season i'm looking forward to seeing worthing in the national south hopefully chris can stop playing that boring sport with a ball and a bat and actually come back and watch a proper sport and hopefully see south shields um get up into the National League where they should have so rightly been a couple of years ago but they fell just short of this year and I believe Gaz is actually going to have a stable internet connection for an entire nine month season how about that well the thing is if, if Gaz had bothered turning up today he could have tapped off Adam couldn't he he could have said look you've got BT contact sort yeah. me out mate actually I should have done it I'm still waiting on fibre to the house here where I am in, uh, in the Worthing area why why, why, should, why did I not ask him not maybe, that he would have been able to do anything maybe he could have drop me a little message yeah. right yeah Adam can you cover the like two grand each house is required to pay but anyway we're digressing um, thanks for a great summer guys and thanks for your comments uh, we look forward to being back with you in the next couple of weeks if you as I said if you're listening to this in the first week of August if you're listening to it any other time throughout the year then we're already back on air but just keep an eye on our socials some exciting stuff coming up and enjoy the kickoff to the National League and uh, non-league season because I certainly am from me James and Trevor good night all are you PNLP Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.